Taylor Swift has been named the Time Magazine Person of the Year. Some liberals are upset by this because a basically normal white lady won the award. Some conservatives are upset by this because a vaguely liberal lady won the award. And to all of them, I quote Chris Christie. This is a smart, accomplished woman. You should stop insulting her. Listen here. I have a decent amount of credibility on this issue because I was the 2006 Time Person of the Year myself. And I say she totally deserves it. Or she almost totally deserves it. Really, if we're talking about influence and dominating the global conversation, it should have been Elon. But Elon already gave it, or Elon rather already won the the Time Award two years ago. And Taylor Swift is genuinely a phenomenon. She is not a psyop. People actually really like her. I don't really get it because I'm neither a millennial woman nor a homosexual, but I am convinced that her popularity is not contrived. I have seen too many intelligent, put-together, accomplished women lose their minds for Taylor Swift's tour, shell out thousands of dollars, refresh Ticketmaster for hours. It's very weird. I don't get it. But I am not the target audience. And I'm not thrilled that she's vaguely liberal. But of all the people that time could have picked, Taylor Swift is easily one of the best. She's clean cut. She's pretty. And best and most shocking of all, she's normal. As far as the liberal press is concerned, that is about as big a win as any conservative could possibly hope for. This is a smart, accomplished woman, and people should stop insulting her. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Speaking of smart, accomplished women, for all of you loyal listeners and viewers out there, no, I did not get new intro music. That is new music from the soundtrack of the number one movie in America, Lady Ballers. Listen to it now on Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, or wherever you enjoy your music. And of course, watch Lady Ballers exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Also, this episode is brought to you by Good Ranchers. Head on over to GoodRanchers.com, subscribe today with code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to claim your free limited stock holiday ham before it sells out. A school board president in Pennsylvania just swore the oath of office on a stack of banned books, which was mostly deviant pornography. I guess all pornography is deviant, but some of it is especially deviant. That's what she did. So we'll get to that in one second. First, though, speaking of achievements, moving from Taylor to the political field, I'm really proud of Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek has just unlocked a new political, specifically Republican achievement, he has been compared to a Nazi on CNN. That guy is dangerous. That's dangerous. Um, When those people are saying Jews will not replace us, Jews will not replace us, that slogan sits on top of a very sick and twisted view that if you bring enough people of color here, we are so deficient, we are so stupid, we are so unwanted, that we will be zombies to fill out the the ranks for some Democratic Party agenda that Jewish people are manipulating and driving forward. That leads to violence. Uh, That puts at risk Jewish people. That puts at risk people of color. It is wrong. And the smug, condescending way that he just spews this poison out 
is very, very dangerous because he won't stop Trump, but he's going to outlive Trump by about 50 years. And you're watching the rise of an American demagogue that is a very, very despicable person. Yeah. And I, I'm, I literally I, I was I was shaking listening to him talk because a lot of people don't know that is one step away from Nazi propaganda coming out of his mouth. That's what that's it. That's what he was doing. If you listened really carefully, not if you listen to the words that Vivek said, which were totally unobjectionable. But if you listen really carefully to like the dog whistle pitches in between all the notes and the words, then what he actually said sounded a lot like, Ich bin ein bereiter Geisterhustergeister. No, I don't think so. I don't, did you hear any Nazi propaganda from Vivek Ramaswamy? What Vivek said was, there's a program of mass migration coming into this country that the libs want because it displaces Americans and it gives them an advantage. And he says they call it a conspiracy theory. They call it a, a great replacement, but it's it's the explicit, totally open program of the Democrat Party to get take, take away the borders and flood the country with foreigners because it gives them an electoral advantage. That's what he said. And then Van Jones hears that. Here's that completely unobjectionable, obviously true statement. He says, and... You know what he's implying here. What he's implying is that the Jews are the most rotten, evil people on earth and ought to be rounded up and sent to get camps. Wait, what? When did Vivek mention the Jews? Huh? Well, secretly, that's what he was implying. And he's a demagogue and he, good grief, man. Good on him. Good on him. If I were Vivek, I wouldn't be offended by that at all. You are not, you are not a serious mainstream conservative until CNN calls you a Nazi. You're not. If, if CNN is not calling you a Nazi, then you might as well sign up with the Democrat Party. To, to be called a Nazi by the mainstream left is, is the barrier to entry for a conservative policy. They start to call you a Nazi if you, if you gently advocate that we just cut taxes a little bit, okay? The barrier to entry is not that high. And Vivek has passed it. So another, the guy's got a lot of achievements in his life, okay? He, he's a self-made man. He's a graduate of Yale Law School. He started a very successful company. He sold it for something like a billion dollars. He is a best-selling author. He is a presidential candidate who went from no name recognition to being one of the top guys in the race. And now the top achievement is the liars at CNN call him a Nazi. Good job. Meanwhile, the rest of the establishment, not just on the Democrat side, but even on the Republican side of the establishment, they are upset about a problem that Vivek does not have. Part of the knock on Vivek is he's this young, precocious guy. But the rest of the political establishment is upset at the old people who are still in politics. Jeb Bush, Jeb, Jeb uh, just criticized the disproportionate influence of old people in politics. He said, as a 70-year-old person, I am part of the problem. It is time for my generation to get off the stage politically. I hear this a lot. Probably a lot of rock-ribbed conservatives even are going to agree with what Jeb says here. I do not. I do not suffer from ageism. It's very fashionable to say, all these old people, they don't know what they're doing. We need to make way for the youths. Hey, man, I'm a conservative. I don't put that much stock in the youths, okay? I actually think that with age comes wisdom. And sometimes with age, wisdom does not come, like in the case of Joe Biden. But sometimes it does, and I don't want to discriminate against old people. In fact, the word Senate, like the U.S. Senate, 
comes from the Latin word senex, which means old guy. So I, I think it's perfectly fine to have old guys in politics. The problem with our political order right now is not old people. It's a certain strain of old thinking. That's the problem. Does anyone be- believe that Jeb Bush wants more Vivek Ramaswamy's in politics? Vivek is like 12 years old. He, he is not an old man by any means. Do you think Jeb wants more Viveks? No way. I'm sure, I'm sure Jeb hates what Vivek is bringing into the Republican Party because what Vivek is bringing to the Republican Party is largely a repudiation of the Bush family's contribution to the Republican Party. Does, does Jeb really hate? I don't know. Joe Biden, did Jeb really hate that the old guard? of? Does Jeb hate Mitch McConnell? No, I don't think so. It's an, it's an old line of thinking that is the problem. The proof of this here is Donald Trump. Because even if you hate Donald Trump, you probably don't hate Donald Trump because of his age. Donald Trump has much more in common politically with the youngest prominent figures in the Republican Party right now than he does with the old guys. Donald Trump has much more in common with Vivek, uh, J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley, Blake Masters, the, the group that is currently called the New Right. Trump has much more in common with them than he does with Mitch McConnell, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, John McCain, Mitt Romney. He's got way more in common with the young guys. That's not the the big divide is not age. The big divide is ideas. There are some Republicans who want to maintain the feckless consensus that predominated on the right after the Cold War and throughout the Bush administration. And even even into the early Obama administration. And that feckless consensus was Ignore social issues, just focus on projecting American might abroad and cutting taxes. That was the consensus. I mean, it was articulated, in fact, by George H.W. Bush just after the Cold War. There was a big debate in the Republican Party. It was George H.W. Bush versus Pat Buchanan. George H.W. Bush said, when we won the Cold War, now we have to win the peace, and we've only got to focus on expanding our economic might to the exclusion, basically, of every other question. And Pat Buchanan said, "Uh uh-uh, we're fighting a culture war. He gave a very famous speech called the Culture War Speech at the 1992 Republican National Convention. And Bush won, and Buchanan lost, and the Bush view predominated for 26 years. And you saw it throughout the Clinton administration and the Bush administration. It was, it was, the two were not all that different. You saw it into the early Tea Party, even just focus on cutting taxes, shrinking government, forget the cultural issues. The leaders of the Tea Party, especially the the political leaders of the Tea Party, I'm thinking of Paul Ryan, I'm thinking of the young guns, so-called in Congress. The the grassroots of the Tea Party was was much more cultural, but the the political leadership at the top focused almost exclusively on economic issues, and it didn't work, okay? And then Trump comes around, and he brings back the Buchanan view. Is, is Jeb Bush really concerned about age or is he concerned about something a little bit deeper? Now, when you want to learn about these deep questions, you got to check out Hillsdale College. Right now, head on over to hillsdale.edu slash Knowles. Are you a few years or decades out of school and wondering, what the heck did I even learn? And what was the point? You might even be thinking, I don't have time to learn something new. Well, if that's you, you're not alone and it's not too late. Hillsdale College is offering more than 40 free online courses. Learn about the works of C.S. Lewis the rise and fall of the Roman Republic, or the history of the ancient Christian church with 
Hillsdale College's online courses. If you're not sure where to start, check out C.S. Lewis on Christianity. In this seven-lecture course, you will examine some of Lewis's classic works, including Mere Christianity, The Screwtape Letters, and The Abolition of Man. You will also see what Lewis had to say about scripture, prayer, suffering, joy, heaven, and hell. The course is self-paced so that you can start whenever and wherever. Enroll now in C.S. Lewis on Christianity to discover Lewis's core lessons on Christianity and how to apply faith to your life. Go to hillsdale.edu slash Knowles to enroll. There's no cost. It's easy to get started. hillsdale.edu slash Knowles to enroll. hillsdale.edu slash Knowles. Now, speaking of new problems and not dealing with them, we did a segment a couple days ago on this porn investigation from Sound Investigations. We had Arden Young come on the show. This was an exclusive uh, that, that we broke. And the, the clip now has been seen well over 5 million times on Twitter alone. I, I don't even know how many on YouTube and elsewhere. It went totally, completely viral. And the reason it went viral was uh, two, two shocking revelations from the undercover footage with the senior Pornhub writers. One was that, and I didn't find this all that shocking, they knew that kids were looking at their stuff. They, they're admitting that they, they at least know that on the camera. And we know that whenever there are age verification laws passed in states, Pornhub pulls their business out of the states because they don't want to comply with that. So I didn't find that all that shocking. I think that's something we all knew. The thing that was really shocking was you had two senior writers for Pornhub. First of all, Pornhub has writers. Apparently it does. Or porn, whatever the Pornhub... They keep changing their name. So it was Pornhub. Then that was owned by MindGeek. Then that was owned by now ALO. They keep changing it because it's a disgusting company. So they, they don't want to have to uh, maintain any kind of reputation. They just have to keep changing the names. This is, this is how the left uses words and euphemisms. They have to keep changing them because the underlying reality of what they're saying is so bad. So they've got these senior writers and the senior writers said on camera, they said, one strategy that we use to expand the market, is we slip gay and trans themes into the straight porn. And the reason that we do that is that we seek to convert, their words, not mine, the straight guys to look at all this even weirder porn. So I thought that was pretty shocking because I was raised to be told that sexual orientation is innate, it's immutable, nothing can possibly change, you can't convert anybody, right? That's what we've been told our whole lives. And yet, senior staff at the most powerful, most knowledgeable porn company in the world, they've got more data than anybody on this subject, they're saying, no, yes, you can. <laughs> Not only can you convert people from one sexual preference or desire to another, but that's our business model. That's our strategy. So anyway, I was pretty shocked at this. Clip goes out there, it goes viral. And then, this is a really weird headline. The Advocate, which is some LGBT LMNOP magazine, runs a headline. The headline says, Pornhub makes you gay or trans, conservative Daily Wire pundit Michael Knowles claims. Did, did I claim that? Uh, Subheadline: The anti-LGBTQ plus right-wing pundit claimed that companies like Pornhub are secretly conspiring to make cisgender, it's a stupid word, to make cisgender straight men change their sexual orientation and gender identity. Now, the problem with this headline and subheader is, I, I never claimed that. 
Pornhub admitted that on video. So I don't know where they get secretly for. They're not secretly conspiring. It's on video. <laughs> I played the video. I, don't, I didn't do the investigation. I'm not making any original claims at all. I just, I just played a clip of the actual porn company here. So the actual headline should read, Pornhub makes you gay or trans, Pornhub claims. The big porn company is openly conspiring <laughs> to, or semi-openly conspiring, they're at least talking about it over dinner dates where they don't know they're being recorded, to make cisgender straight men change their sexual orientation and gender identity. Don't shoot the messenger, man. I'm not even the messenger. I didn't even do the investigation. I just listened to a reporter discuss it and then watched her footage where you hear it straight from the horse's mouth. What is this about? I think probably my critics are going to be surprised to hear my basic conclusion from this whole thing, which is, uh, sure, there's all sorts of debates over sex and desire and porn and morality and... uh, The key to this story, the key to the Pornhub is trying to trans the straights story, again, their video, not my original claims, the key to it is actually capitalism. Or more precisely, capitalism unconstrained by morality. This this was a key topic of my speech a couple nights ago at Clemson, which I encourage all of you to watch. It's called Kids Are Not Commodities, Surrogacy, and IVF. What we call capitalism, what a lot of people mistakenly defend as capitalism today, is not conservative. It's not right-wing. It's it's not something that Adam Smith would have defended. It's certainly not something the Founding Fathers would have defended. Because what people are referring to as capitalism today is totally unconstrained by morality. And therefore, it puts the cart before the horse. Free markets are good. They're the most efficient way to utilize resources in an economy. But the purpose of that is to serve human flourishing. It's to serve the political order. We do not exist as a political community to serve the market. That's called mammon worship. The market exists to serve us. And so capitalism, which is a word, let's not forget, popularized by Karl Marx, okay? Capitalism, which in its current form is something that that much more neatly uh, would be revered by the left than by the right. Because the left turns everything into just a question of money, even people. It commoditizes even people. The right doesn't do that. We recognize that there's a lot more than money in the world. We realize that human motivations go a lot deeper than just material gain. What what is called capitalism today is absolutely ghastly because it it has to grow. It has to expand. It It has to get you to consume more and more. If it's not growing, it's dying. And so in the case of porn, which should be illegal anyway and was illegal for most of American history and most of the history of our civilization. when, When it comes to porn, you've already thrown morality out the window by even permitting this stuff to exist and to flourish. But a lot of people say, well, it's the free market. It's free speech. In the middle of the 20th century, leftists decided that for the first time ever, porn was going to be considered free speech. That was never the case in our country. But after that point, we we then said, well, in the name of all holy free market, we've got to allow this smut and degeneracy to to thrive and to expand. 
And then what happens? You got a porn company. Porn companies got to expand. If they get all of the straight guys and the straight guys are looking at all of the straight porn, well, we got to get new products for them. You know, they've already, they've seen all of that. We need to, well, how about if we have a dude or how about we have like a dude who looks like a chick or vice versa or like three guys and a billy goat or whatever. We, it needs to get weirder and weirder and weirder and more varied. Not my claim. That is what the senior Pornhub staff is saying on air. You got a problem with that, don't take it up with me. Take it up with the corporation. Don't forget, it's a, Pornhub's a corporation. So if you got a problem with that, don't even just take it up with the ideological left. Take it up with the ways in which our political economy has been so extraordinarily perverted. Ironically, in the name of capitalism, which conservatives supposedly like. Now, when we're talking about morality and the basis for morality, you got to check out the St. Paul Center. Right now, go to stpaulcenter.com slash Michael. I recently had my friend, Dr. Scott Hahn, on the show. He's the founder of the St. Paul Center, which is one of the fastest growing Catholic organizations in the world. The St. Paul Center's mission is to give you the tools you need to know to love scripture better, to become more confident in your faith, and most importantly, to grow closer to Christ himself. In order to achieve this, the St. Paul Center founded a new digital learning platform called Emmaus Academy. Emmaus Academy features over 20 video courses, book studies, and original series, giving you the ability to learn from world-class theologians such as Dr. Scott Hahn and Dr. John Bergsma, as if you were right there with them in the classroom. I absolutely love everything they put out. They're a great place to start your exploration of your faith. Their 12-session study by Dr. Scott Hahn is incredible. He traces the meaning of holiness from its origins in Scripture to its appearance in our own lives today. This study will help you experience the transformative power of God's holiness, start learning more about church history, how to interpret the Bible, the basics of Christian prayer, and more. stpaulcenter.com slash Michael. Head on over there. You can begin exploring Emmaus Academy. Memberships are only 25 bucks per month, but you can sign up today for a two-week free trial right now. Imagine what could be possible if we were all to fortify ourselves with a deeper understanding of Scripture and our faith. Do not miss this opportunity to sign up today to begin your journey with Emmaus Academy. Lady Ballers is the number one streaming movie in the country. It's not only on Daily Wire Plus, or I'm sorry, it is only on Daily Wire Plus. It's the number one streaming movie on all of the, all of the uh, big rankings. But you can only watch it on Daily Wire Plus. So if you don't have a Daily Wire Plus membership, let's take care of that right now. Get 30% off new Daily Wire Plus annual memberships this weekend only. Are you already a Daily Wire Plus member? Fantastic. You can gift a 30% off Daily Wire Plus annual membership to friends, family members, coworkers, even strangers. Give the gift of the top movie in America and unlimited access to all the incredible content that the Daily Wire offers. Last weekend, Lady Ballers broke our previous record for a new release. This weekend, we are set to shatter that record again. Take a look. At Lady Ballers. The people have spoken. Lady Ballers is the number one streaming movie in America. We're heroes. It's a joint up festival. Bring the kids. We could dominate every woman's sport. My pronouns are I'm strong. Watch the most triggering comedy of the decade. I was just invited to the White House to give a talk on women's rights. You earn that. You own it. Lady Ballers exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. Number one, baby, not a bad start for our first ever full-length feature comedy. Lady Ballers has a 92% audience score with thousands of reviews. It's time to spread the word and watch the biggest movie in America, Lady Ballers, streaming exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. 
Get 30% off Daily Wire Plus annual memberships this weekend only. The perfect gift for yourself or anyone on your Christmas list. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe to get your 30% off Daily Wire Plus membership now. Speaking of creepy content being accessed by kids, new report out. Schools across America are encouraging minors, children, to go on to secret online LGBT chat rooms to discuss, quote, gender-affirming surgeries, transgenderism, occult practices, believe it or not, and other things with adults who identify as LGBT. Seems to me, if any adults access these platforms, they should get a knock on the door from Chris Hansen, followed by the police. But it's not just that. It's not just that creepy adults are talking about these things with kids, unsupervised by the kids' parents, without the knowledge of the kids' parents, at all. It's that the schools are encouraging it. Massachusetts uh, has administrators who are pushing youth who identify as LGBTQIA+, I guess that's the new one, that's the one they're sticking with, to QChat, which is a secret platform that connects uh, chat-based discussion groups for LGBTQ+. They forgot the IA in that one, but it's got to, it, they got to add the IA. I guess the platform's outdated. Uh, and questioning teens ages 13 to 19. Can you imagine? Can you imagine you, you're a parent and you find out that some pervert school administrator told your 13-year-old kid to go onto a secret chat room to talk with adults about weird sex stuff? Can you imagine how difficult it would be to restrain your worst impulses and to remember that vengeance belongs to the Lord and to allow the civil authority to take its course, which it won't do because the civil authority promotes this? Can you fathom that reaction? Very difficult, very difficult to imagine restraint in that situation. These chat rooms... Invite participants to join conversations on everything from queer youth activism to sex and relationships to tarot cards. Isn't it kind of weird? Isn't it kind of weird how all this stuff just always seems to come back to weird satanic imagery? Isn't that, and like occult practices and demon stuff? It's just funny, huh? Funny how that works. All of this, of course, without parental permission. This website, which is a project of a bunch of LGBT LMNOP groups and Planned Parenthood, so you, you have the child sacrifice people in there too, they, they have even equipped the website with a quick escape. So if your parents walk by and see that your pervert school administrators have encouraged you to go talk about sex and tarot cards with weird adults whose identity you don't know, you can just very quickly X out of it. And you just quick escape button, you're out. So the parents won't find out. You don't want them to find out because then they might tell you not to do that. And the school really, really, (laughs) the school wants to do the same thing the Pornhub's trying to do to you. Okay. Wisconsin, it's not just Massachusetts, Wisconsin uh, had students guided to Trevor Space, which is a similar kind of thing, allows minors who identify as LGBT, they lost the Q and the IA and the plus, to anonymously chat with adults on the platform This is a project of the Trevor Project, which is a radical LGBT uh, organization. Uh, This has been exposed as a hotspot for graphic conversations about sexual fetishes. 
adults giving minors advice on how to discreetly obtain various uh, sexual paraphernalia and hide it from their parents. Very, very disturbing. Adults detailing, I'm not even, even going to get into it. Adults detailing very, very disgusting, depraved things for the minors on the chat form, on the platform. This is Weimar Germany kind of stuff. This is late Rome kind of stuff. The worst kind of depravity <laughs> you've ever read about in a history book right now at perhaps a, a, a much higher level going on. Obviously, I agree with that. You very likely agree with that. You, you normal people listening to the show. Now, I know, look, I know that there are some left-wingers and even some radical left-wingers who listen to the show. So maybe there are a small number of you out there who disagree with me. And you say, no, no, Michael, you don't, you're totally misrepresenting this. And I'll tell you, from their perspective, this is what they're saying. From their perspective, they're saying, there are these kids who are trans, whatever, are gay, are, they have these uh, sexual desires that are unusual. And they feel alone and they feel isolated. And an oppressive society with a, with a false and cruel morality uh, forces them to stay in the closet and deny their true selves. And these heroic adults are out there giving their time, giving their money in many cases, trying to save these poor, oppressed LGBT LMNOP children from their cruel, evil parents and this evil country founded on evil Christian morality. And they're, they're going to liberate them and bring them into the truth and fullness of their identity. That's what they say. That's what they believe. That's the justification for this. And so, from their perspective, I think many of them have good intentions, which, by the way, pave the road to hell, those good intentions. But I bet they have good intentions. Some of them. Some of them are perverts. But some of them are, are unknowingly perverts. <laughs> and, they, they, and they probably do have good intentions. They really, really believe all of this. So who's right? What is it? Is this a bunch of weirdos grooming kids into something that will harm them? Or is this a bunch of wonderful, helpful people, enlightened, brilliant minds who are saving children from oppression and liberating them? You know my view, and I think I know your view. But it's an open question, and, and it's a question that the state will weigh in on, that the state must weigh in on. Because the school is going to do one thing or the other. The school is either going to encourage these chat sites or the school is not going to encourage these chat sites. The school is going to teach something. It's either going to teach that a boy can be a girl. And therefore, if you're a boy, but you think you're a girl, then you need to be liberated and, and go on hormones and chop yourself up and, and be called by the opposite pronouns. Or it's not going to teach that. The school's going to say, no, actually, boys can't be girls. So you're just confused, and we're going to, we're going to try to give you a, a more correct understanding of things. But it's going to teach something. The, the, the state has to weigh in, which means that the state has to have some kind of religious view. And even if you don't like the word religion, you're allergic to it, the state has to take some kind of view of human nature and who we are, how we know who we are, what we're here for. Those are all religious questions. We can pretend that they're not if, that, if you'd prefer that. But either way, the state has to have an answer to it and has to enforce those standards. Who's going to do that? Traditionally, that would be us, we the people. That's, that's, the, that's the true American tradition. 
you will hear the radical squishes and the radical individualists and the even the radical libertarians in some cases saying that we have no right to impose our views on others. That's un-American. Now, it, man, this is un-American. Are you, you seriously think Thomas Jefferson would have supported this? No. You really think George Washington would have supported this kind of filth and degeneracy? Of course not. So that means that the view that you are claiming is the deep American true sense of freedom is just wrong. It's just ahistorical. You've been fed a lie. You've, been, you've bought a bill of goods, okay? And that means we need to correct our perception first before we can then have the brains and the spine and maybe some other body parts to correct that perception for the country and return to something resembling a reasonable American tradition. Now, speaking of the schools, there's a lady. She was just sworn in as school board president in Pennsylvania, and she wanted to take the oath of office. Usually, you swear the oath of office on a Bible. If you're not Christian and you're a public office holder, uh, say you're Muslim, I guess you could swear it on the Quran. I, if you, let's say you're Jewish, I guess you could swear it on the Torah. So, but you swear it on, on a book, traditionally, that that means a lot to you, that you that, and that speaks to obligations that you have beyond the material world. That you, because what you're vowing is, I will uphold my office with integrity. I will not deceive. I will not cheat. I will not lie. So help me God. Because even, even if I won't be held to account in this life, I will be held to account in the life to come. That's why you do it. It's, it's a book that you hold sacred. And the books that this lady holds sacred are pornography. This woman, Karen Smith, decided to swear the oath of office on a stack of banned books. This, of course, thanks to our friends at Libs of TikTok, who, you know, she just digs up all the greatest stuff. The books are not even the usual banned books that, that people cite. You know, uh, I don't know, the, the Harper Lee novel. What's that called? You know, I can't believe I forget. It's one of the most famous novels ever written. They sometimes say that, that that's a banned book, or I don't know, Catcher in the Rye or something. No, it's not, but those aren't the books that are really banned. The books that are banned are usually weirdo porn that they're putting into elementary schools. Well, what are these books? Flamer by Henry Holt. All Boys Aren't Blue by something Johnson. There's a Toni Morrison novel in there, which... The reason people shouldn't read Toni Morrison is she's not a very good writer, but not because it's pornographic exactly. Lillian Duncan, Donna Gephardt. So even here, Flamer, what we're talking about is porn. Like In this case, like weird gay porn. I'm glad to see gender queer wasn't in there. I'm sure that someone's going to include that too. Look, this makes sense to me. It makes sense that the, the libs would consider the most sacred books in the world to be books that are poorly written and porno- pornographic in some cases. That's what they hold sacred. Bad writing, weak art, and obscenity. That's what they hold sacred. They don't see it like that. What they see it like is that they are swearing the oath on freedom and openness. They have a mistaken conception of freedom and on openness. We want to read every, there should be no banned books. And the irony here, of course, is the, the book that one would traditionally swear the oath of office on is the one book that is actually banned in schools, and that's the Bible. And, and this school board lady seems fine with that because she, she kicked the Bible out of her oath of office. That's the irony. There's only one book that is actually banned in schools throughout the country, 
And that book is the Bible. The rest of the stuff, your mileage may vary by municipality, but largely the weirdo porn stuff and the bad writing and the nonsense is permitted. They want total openness. Now, this is attractive even to a lot of right-wingers. They say, that's right, we want freedom. And they view freedom as being just total openness to everything, which, as we've said many times on this show, that's not what freedom actually is. That's not what our founders thought freedom was. That's not what the great statesmen of our civilization have thought that freedom is. But I guess my question to them is, you want total openness. You hold as most sacred just the, the total openness to anything and everything without coming to any conclusions whatsoever. Why? Why? Why is that good? What's so good about presenting a 10-year-old with porn in the classroom? Well, what do you, what do you want to do, ban books? In some cases, yes, but <laughs> at least for certain people and so, you know, in certain ages. And, but put that aside for a second. Why is it good? You sound like a book burner. Hold on. Quit it with the invective. Quit it with the insults. Just can you give me an explanation of why it is, what good is achieved by giving pornography to a 10-year-old? Well, then they're really, they're really open. Right. To what end? For what? Our founding fathers talked about the blessings of liberty, and they had a way better conception of liberty than we do today. When you talk about the blessings of liberty, you recognize that liberty is an instrument to an end, to a good. It's not a good in and of itself. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a means to an end. So what is the good to be achieved there? They fall silent. They will look at you like you have three heads. We got to talk about these things, though. And when you want to talk, you got to check out Pure Talk. Right now, go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Pure Talk has you covered for the holidays with a free Moto G 5G phone. No gimmicks, no trade-in necessary. Just sign up for Pure Talk's unlimited talk, unlimited text, and 15 gigs of data. You can get all of this for just 35 bucks, and you will get the Moto G 5G phone for free. But here's the deal. You need to move fast because these phones are almost gone. So if your current phone is on life support, upgrade for free with Pure Talk. The new Moto G 5G boasts a two-day battery life, an exceptional quad-pixel camera, and a whole lot more. Pure Talk gives you America's most dependable 5G network at half the price. So make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S. Get this exclusive offer and select the plan that's right for your family. Pure Talk gives you America's most dependable 5G network at half the price. Make the switch today. puretalk.com slash Knowles to claim your free Moto G 5G phone with a qualifying plan. Head on over there right now. Get Pure Talk. Simply smarter wireless. My favorite comment yesterday is from the Drummer's Workshop at Norm's Music, who says, what a gentleman, Chris Christie. He was so nice at that last debate, being Nikki Haley's White Castle. I mean, White Knight. That's not nice. That's not, I would not make a joke like that. So that's kind of funny, but that's not. He is a smart, intelligent woman, and you should stop insulting him. This mailbag is sponsored by Pure Talk. Go to puretalk.com slash Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to claim your free Moto G 5G phone with a qualifying plan. Take it away. Hi, Michael. Guess who it is? No, not your uncle who smokes too much. It's Dr. Fauci. I was uh, wondering, just one question, why are you not wearing your mask? Just because I am not in the public eye anymore does not mean you do not have to answer to my omnipotent power. <laughs> you must wear your mask. You are exposing you and everyone you know 
to the new coronavirus Death Star variant <laughs> that's very dangerous and very deadly. Please wear a mask. You're right. You're, you're right, Dr. Fauci. That, I don't know what I was thinking, especially you hear I'm, I'm just a little tiny bit stuffy right now. So who knows? I might have COVID-19, COVID-23, COVID-27. There's going to be a new COVID just before every presidential election cycle. So you're right. I'm sorry, doctor. You got me. Next one. Hi, Michael. My brother-in-law thinks it would be morally okay to donate sperm for money. I, on the other hand, do not. He would argue that it's a simple exchange and that he would have no obligation to the life created since it's done professionally and anonymously. I think it's equivalent to prostitution for men because you're essentially selling your body for money and you're working in the sex industry. He disagrees that it's like prostitution, but has no argument against why. We're both Christians, and so it got me curious, and I've asked around to other believers, and they would seem to side with my brother-in-law. I'm shocked by this. Help me win this debate. How can I convince my brother-in-law and my friends um, to see the moral issues with donating sperm and how irresponsible it really is. Love the show and love the work you do. Thanks. Here's the first thing you ask him, if you want to show the intrinsic immorality of donating sperm. I mean, there's so many, many more serious issues here, but here's the first one. How are you going to donate the sperm? What You don't want to get too graphic, especially you're talking to your family member or something, but what is the method by which one donates sperm? Is that action virtuous and holy, or is that action intrinsically evil and gravely wrong and obviously immoral and shameful? Is it, and, and even if people are confused about this today because there's a lot of religious confusion, is that action something that Christians, since the advent of our civilization, and in fact, long, even before the advent of our Lord and the nativity and the crucifixion and the resurrection, is that something that the line of our faith has held to be good or obviously immoral and the sin of Onan for all of history? <laughs> Wait, what, what do you think it is? What do you, it's obviously the latter, guys. So uh, just there, that's the very first thing. The The action of donating sperm would involve an immoral act. Uh, after that, because some people try to uh, whitewash that. They try to say, no, no, that, you know, that's, that's okay, actually. Now, everything changed now, and that obviously shameful action is really good, and it's totally fine. It's just a health matter. He says, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a health f- facility. It's administered by professionals. Yeah, so are abortion clinics, man. It doesn't make them good. They're, they're very bad. But, but then in this case, what he would be doing is fathering a child and then abandoning that child, which is a, a grave evil. That, you know, when it comes to procreation, the only, the only party that can be said to have any rights is the child. The child has a right to his natural mother and father and to be conceived in the conjugal act. And I went into some detail as to why this is the case in my speech that I gave a couple of nights ago at Clemson on Kids Are Not Commodities surrogacy and IVF. I guess that's another part here. This commoditizes sex and human life. People are not property. People are not property to be bought and sold. The way we know people are not property is that people have rights. 
And so if people have any rights at all, that means that people cannot have a right to other people. You have a right to property. You don't have a right to other people because those other people also have rights. So in this case, because of capitalism unmoored from morality, we're commoditizing everything. And the analogy you make with prostitution is apt because in prostitution, we commoditize human beings and we treat human beings like nothing more than instruments and flesh and property to be used for the gratification of another's lowest lowest, uh, appetites. And here it's even graver because we're treating people and we're treating sex as property to conceive another person and then to sell that person. So deeply, deeply evil, uh, not worth it at all, and gross. So tell your brother to give your brother maybe a little corrective smack and say, come to your senses. Not, I'm not saying assault him. I'm not saying punch him. You know, it's like, like the, the legend of St. Nicholas uh, at the Council of Nicaea talking to the Heresiarch Arius. It's not that he punched him in the face. It's he gave him a corrective slap. You know, get a hold of yourself. Man, what's the matter with you? Like Don Corleone talking to Johnny Fontaine. Next one. Hey, Michael, love the show. My question for you is about how to successfully and gracefully navigate arguments within your marriage. So many couples struggle with this, I think, and they struggle with how to have a disagreement without yelling or getting mean at each other. And you have said before that no husband or wife should be raising their voice or yelling at each other in an argument. So I wanted to get your suggestions on how couples should uh, gracefully navigate disagreements within their marriage. Thank you so much for the advice. Uh, wives should submit to their husbands and husbands should love their wives. I'm not the first to say it, <laughs> but that will that will help a lot. And, and probably that's a controversial piece of advice in our decadent age, but the reason for this is there will be a head of household. There, there has to be. Two people don't make a very good democracy. <laughs> so someone's going to have the final say. And the question is, how are you going to have the final say? Is it going to be the husband? I guess that's patriarchy. Is it going to be the wife? I guess that's matriarchy. Or is that going to be a constant negotiation where one person wins and has the final say this time and another person has the final say this time where you just don't ever come to an agreement and then you have even more division in your marriage? And for... All of history, at least in our civilization, and really everywhere else, uh, the husband has been the head of the household and has the final say. So that, that has seemed to work out pretty well for civilization so far. In recent years, we have this feminist idea where either the woman has the final say or you just never come to an agreement. And it's, but then, then, then your marriage becomes like a business negotiation. Everything becomes commoditized. This is a theme we're seeing throughout our culture. And you don't want your marriage to be a business negotiation. You know, you want, you want your marriage to be two people coming together and, and becoming one flesh and having their love be so real that it actually creates new people. So I would, I would encourage strong feminism out the window. And then my, my biggest advice is for the men, which is you don't, you don't want to lord power over your wife. You want to hear your wife's opinion if you feel that you can reasonably accommodate that. Even, even if it will inconvenience you, then if your, if your reason leads you to the place where you think, okay, uh, this, it, it would be good for us to do this, even though I don't particularly want to, then do that. But if your reason leads you to a place where you say, no, it is objectively good that I or you or we do such and such, and 
the good of that outweighs the bad of that, and there's nothing evil in that, and here's my argument for it, and and, and you're still at a disagreement, then you've you've got to make a final say. And and maybe in charity and love for your wife, you try to do some nice things for her <laughs> around that. Uh, but but you're you're not gonna do it with feminism or a democracy. It's not not good for families. Look at what it's done to families over the last 50, 70 years. Next question. Right now, go to preborn.com slash Knowles. Last year, because of you, Preborn's network of clinics saved over 58,000 babies. Thank you to all who made this possible. We need to celebrate these precious babies. When Charlotte found out she was pregnant, she was seven weeks along. In the back of her mind, she thought abortion was the best solution. She went into a preborn clinic, and after hearing her baby's heartbeat and seeing her beautiful baby on ultrasound, she chose life. Her heart is filled with gratitude for all of you who made this possible. Just 28 bucks a month can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears that heartbeat, it is a divine connection that doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together, help mothers choose life. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Preborn fundraises separately for all the administrative costs. So every dollar you give goes straight towards saving babies. Go to preborn.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, and donate right now. Hi, Michael. I love your show. And I was wondering if you could rate your producers from best to worst. Producer Davies, Producer Danny, Professor Jacob, and young Markella. Thanks. Love ya. Davies, obviously last. No question. It's, it goes without saying. Um, ordinarily, I would, I would say ladies first, you know. But I actually, I think I have to give it to Producer Danny here. Because Producer Danny has the most difficult job of anyone. Because Producer Danny, I send in my script, you know, and I say, okay, hey, I need a clip of Ross Perot using the word anti-disestablishmentarianism sometime in 1972. Can you find that for me, Danny? And then Danny at four in the morning has to go scouring the internet, you know, has to go to libraries and the Dewey Decimal System to find whatever clip I want. So that's absolutely brutal. Sometimes we do that on the fly. I would say Danny is at the top, followed by, we've already established Mr. Davies, obviously way down at the bottom, followed by the young Markella, of course, because she's the only one of, of, of them who is delightful, you know, and not just a, just a, you know, sort of broken husk of a man. And then, and then I guess that would leave uh, Professor Jacob in the penultimate spot, but not the last place because I don't want to be called anti-Semitic. All right, let's get to some written mailbag. Plus, you know, some people have suggested that Professor Jacob should be at the top of the list because he uh, came into work the morning after he got a concussion and then actually went on the road with me to South Carolina. But that's a basic job expectation, okay? That is not, that's not going above and beyond. Come on, who doesn't do that? A question from Jessica. Michael, how do I tell my husband to be more financially responsible? He has made poor financial decisions before he finally admitted that we have accumulated over $15,000 in debt that I was unaware of. Oh my goodness. We're working hard to pay it off because I want to quit my job to stay home with our two young kids and homeschool them. But occasionally I will open a statement from an account that I thought was closed and he responds with, I'm not perfect. Oof. 
He comes from a family that did not handle money well. He has made other poor and impulsive decisions in the past that I am still working to forgive. I want to tell him to man up because he has a family to take care of and that I need to be able to trust him. But I'm Catholic and I don't know how to both submit to my husband's leadership and tell him to be a responsible leader at the same time. How do I address this in a way that will be effective and not like I'm nagging? Thank you so much for your show and all you do. I've learned a lot about my faith just from listening to you. That's very kind. You need to uh, put limits on the way that he can spend money. Not that you need to do this. You as a family need to do this. Because in an ideal functioning family, the man would be the head of the household in all ways and would be responsible. But in this case, he has a defect of his will. He has a, he has a problem here. He has a vice. And that vice involves money. So just as if, if you're husband were an alcoholic, you wouldn't keep booze all over the house, right? Because your husband is a spendthrift, and I don't know how he's spending money, maybe he's a gambler, maybe, I don't know what it is, but however he's doing it, that's his problem. And so you don't want to leave credit cards all over the house either. He, he has this problem, he recognizes that he has this problem, which means that he ha- has to, for the good of your marriage, if I were him, what I would do is delegate to you the financial um, management of the household. I actually do that to my wife already because I don't really know how to manage a household whatsoever. But I would delegate that to my wife and I would limit even the amount of credit that I could run up. I would call the credit card company. I would say, lower my credit limit. I would call, I I would give up my debit card. I would not, it it, it can feel infantilizing. It can feel uh, shameful, but there's no, no shame in that. If you're a booze hound, there's no shame in keeping booze out of your house. You know, you don't want to put yourself in the near occasion of sin. You don't want to put yourself that close to temptation because you know your own weaknesses. That's actually very manly. That's very reasonable to do. And in this case, his weakness is money. So he's got to be kept away from the money. He's got to keep himself away from the money. He's got to put limits on it. If you're, if you're addicted to porn, we were talking about porn earlier in the show, then you got to put software on your computer to stop you from going to the porn websites. If you're addicted to womanizing, then you got to not you know, not go to the club or wherever you meet women. You gotta, you've got to know your limits and you've got, to, you've got to keep yourself away from temptation in order to even have the possibility to build up habits of virtue so that at some point he can be trusted again. But otherwise, if you don't do that, if, if his pride, if his selfish pride will keep him from doing that, your likelihood of being divorced, even if you're a practicing Catholic and, and a devout Catholic, is, is significantly higher than it should be. Got to know your limits. Okay, the rest of the show continues now. You don't want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. 